When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. Julianne Emery has enjoyed a successful career in movies and in TV, and is now starring in a new Apple TV miniseries that takes a look back at the tragic aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. It's called Five Days at Memorial, and it airs starting August 26. Emery plays Diane Robichaux, a caregiver who is seven months pregnant and responsible for a floor of patients needing expert care at a hospital where things are not going well. Emery says the series takes on important issues about holding our elected leaders and businesses accountable for ensuring that people, especially poor people in the U.S., are given the help they need when they need it. I spoke with Emery about obtaining her personal emergency supplies, about her role in another notable TV series, Better Call Saul, and about her obsession with her small but productive hydroponic garden on the balcony outside her California apartment. Okay, well, you're about to start, or you are starring in a new um, limited series that Apple TV is going to run. And I got to watch the whole thing, the, the limited series this past weekend. It's called Five Days at Memorial, and it's about a hospital in New Orleans right after uh, Hurricane Katrina. Tell our audience what it's about. Uh, so Five Days at Memorial is based on Sherry Fink's Pulitzer Prize winning journalism. Uh, she she released an article that won a Pulitzer when she broke the story, and then she spent five years writing this book. Um, it's exhaustive. It's beautifully narrative. It starts uh, day one is the day of the hurricane, and it follows for the next five days until the hospital was sort of force evacuated. We, we began shooting at the tail end of the pandemic, tail end of the pandemic, I guess, tail end of lockdown, I should say. Um, there's a lot of crossover with what's happening now still with our uh, healthcare workers. It is um, a story that, out, you know, a lot of people are outraged by the story. A lot of people, I, I, I hope it's a call to arms. Um, for me, the show highlights some really big societal issues for us that I hope I really hope the show will be a jumping off place, a, a bigger conversation starter in our society about how we want to be in these moments of collective crises and these moments of disaster. Like, how do we want to show up for each other? They're happening with more frequency and ferocity than they ever have. Um, and they tend to bring out all other societal ills, right? They tend to bring out systemic racism. Uh, I mean, they tend to like, it, it tends to, in those moments, everything kind of piles on top of each other, including, frankly, the way the media covered uh, the aftermath of the hurricane, they were more interested in looting than they were in people trapped inside these hospitals or trapped and without a way to get out. So uh, it, there was a massive institutional and governmental failure that left these people trapped here. I'd like to see us hold some folks uh, accountable for that. Um, there's also my character. I run um, 
I run a, a long-term care facility called Life Care that rents the seventh floor of the hospital from Tenant Healthcare, which is a big healthcare conglomerate. Um, and there's a lot, there's a big conversation to be had about corporate medicine here because a lot of the consequences for life care were simply because they were owned by two separate corporations. And that should not ever happen. It still um, makes me very, it still makes me angry today that people in a nice air conditioned office with desks and boardrooms were making um, business decisions when they should have if there's any moment to make a human decision, it's in that moment when the levees broke and Katrina, you know, it was, it's that moment. So there, there are a lot of big conversations that I think the show is attempting to start. I hope we see that happen. It is a very thought provoking, sad, heartbreaking story that also makes you angry. And for people who don't know, or haven't read uh, Sherry Fink's book, it is about what happened at this hospital and this uh, long-term care facility five days, uh, the first five episodes are one day each in, in what happened, which I thought was a very interesting way to tell the story. But ultimately what happened was they were cut off. There was a lack of communication. The care staff didn't know what was going on. The city, city systems failed, pumps, electricity. So there was no water, there's no heat. I mean, there's wa bottles, water, but basically uh, the- There's no air conditioning, which in New Orleans in August, I don't know if, if any, if your listeners- I've been in New Orleans in August and it's like, you know, it's so humid. It's like you're breathing water and the temperature is upwards of hundred degrees. And once they lost their generator power, when the basement flooded, they lost their generator power as well. Then any patient on a ventilator is being handbagged. I mean, there, there's just so much of our modern medicine is dependent on, um, on electricity. And that's, you know, that's one, one takeaway here. The, the, the bigger one is these people never should have been kind of abandoned for five days. And that happened at a lot of the hospitals in New Orleans. Right. Um, the death toll at Memorial was higher at the end of the day than at other hospitals. I think we assume that if people are in a hospital, they're taken care of. And when the community or the city loses resources, power, fresh water, you couldn't, I mean, New Orleans, it even, there's even a heavy, if there's a heavy rain in New Orleans, you're under a boil advisory. Like, it's not like you right. could turn on a faucet. You lose those things. The hospital loses those things too. And we don't really think of it that way. We just assume because there's a doctor somewhere that they're all taken care of. And that is not the case. Well, what I thought was compelling about the story as well is that you had people, you know, devoted, um, committed caretakers, including the character that you play, which uh, we should note. You play a nurse who is seven months pregnant, who stays at the hospital to take care of her patients and then has to go through this whole experience. It's more complicated than that. There are some questions about the ethics of how some of the care was handled. There sure. are certainly questions about communication and the lack of communication, but also this idea that you bring up everyone thinking someone else is in charge. Someone else is going to come save me. There are ethics questions. I think that our medical community will talk about a lot. There's preparedness issues that the community will talk about a lot. I still think that misses the bigger question. They never should have gotten to the point that they were at. And I also say, you know, on day five, I don't know how spoiler to be to be here, but the, 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 something happens on day five where there's a demand that they be out by the end of the day and they can't get all the patients out by that point. It's a very arduous task. And you know, in the beginning, the National Guard was sheltering at the hospital, and then they left to go protect property. 
right? And the cops were interested in protecting property. Not one police officer or National Guardsman picked up a gurney or a wheelchair and carried patients down seven flights of steps through a tunnel, up a parking garage and up another rickety flight of steps to a helipad. Not one of them. The people who picked up those gurneys and the people who picked up those wheelchairs and carried them were nurses. And that's also our priorities in those moments matter. And the hospitals had better plans for, uh, they, they brought in generators, external generators. But we haven't, we saw it with the Texas freeze. We're seeing it right now with the flooding in Kentucky and now in Dallas. We don't have, we have FEMA that comes in a week later, but we don't have a great response in this country in that moment of crisis. And we, we need to address it because it's only going to get worse. And I would say your point about the media and how it covers it, they try to shorthand stories, go for sensational headlines, but the work of actually explaining what's going on. I mean, this book is extraordinary in that the amount of research and reporting that went into telling that story from so many different perspectives. I mean, Sherry Fink is extraordinary and we should all be supporting our papers of record because that's the only people doing long, long lead or long-term reporting like that. But I also, I also think that as soon as we turn the media into something that relies on ratings, um, the things that get ratings for them are the exciting things, the disaster, the guy with the wind and the rain and the flooding behind him or seeing a building get its roof, you know, blown off. And then the truth is, is that the storm, the storm part of Katrina wasn't terrible. I mean, there were some windows blown in at the hospital and stuff. It was the levees breaking and that's not exciting. <laughs> well, and food, water, obviously are massive priorities, but also communication, right? Yes. You said electricity is vital, yeah. not just in New Orleans, which is very hot, but if, if you don't have electricity today, we live in such a connected world, that connection can go away, right? A phone that has no charge is a brick. Also right. a phone that has no cell tower to connect to is a brick. Like right. this, there were multiple things here with Katrina that, I mean, sh the actual, the hardline phone line stayed operational for a bit, but not for very long. In Sherry's book, you'll see they were they could get intermittent internet for a little while. So they could send like a one sentence or two sentence message out to the corporate, to corporate headquarters, but corporate headquarters were not helpful for them. So communication, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I hope someone out there in the wonderful tech land does. I, I, I mean, do they all need a satellite phone of some kind, but you know, for, there was a massive swath of no cell service in New Orleans. This happened, my brother was in New York at 9-11 and there was a glut of, you know, cell service stopped entirely. And then it was a glut of people trying to get messages out. So the, the lack of communication was a massive issue. And then the lack of leadership was at cost so, so many lives across the board. And we should be holding our leaders to a better account than that. Uh, I, I don't dispute anything that you said. And I also think it also shows you that you shouldn't assume that there are smart people out there. And I know the show is heavy, so it, 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 uh, it's a daunting task to think about talking about it. Well, I mean, it is heavy. Some people will be turned off because they just like the last four years or depending on your point of view, six years right. have been heavy and there's been a lot of stuff to deal with, but it does remind you that People are wanting to do the best that they can and they want to step up. And sometimes, like you say, you get into circumstances where 
the corporate default. Oh, we can't spend that money, but yeah. You know, it's just a reminder that there's so many things that are wrong and that you're right. Property is replaced. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Who cares about the property? Like who cares? I mean, obviously whoever owns the property cares, but that should not be, that should not be our government's focus. Right. I think maybe we're ready for a call to action right now. And the show does really speak to that, but um, I mean, we'll see. We, it, we've, we've had a lot of good response from folks so far, so I hope it'll get watched. It's such an important, um, it's such an important story to highlight. Like I said, I watched it and then I told my husband, I live in Silicon Valley, five minutes uh-huh. from Apple. Right. I'm like, is our earthquake kit up to date? Yeah. Um, we yeah. went out and looked, we have to replace the water and some yeah. other things that have expired. Right. Yeah, for sure. And you knew what I was talking about then with the fires, right? Like, I, I totally like we had to close our windows. We actually bought an air purifier because um, you couldn't walk outside. This is before people were, in, were wearing masks. We were wearing masks in San Francisco because the air right. quality was so bad. And then I got a, a purifier because my husband has allergies and things. And even with the windows closed, you know, it all. It still comes in. in. It still seeps in. Yeah. 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 And, even and in LA. Yeah. We were nowhere near it. Like we're, I'm in Silicon yeah. Valley. That is literally an hour to an hour and a half north. Santa Cruz mountains, that's, you know, 40 minutes, but nonetheless. Yeah. But if fires that big, they create their own, their own, their own, like, it's almost like a cloud system of smoke. Cause we get right. them in LA all the time, even when the fire is like 25, 30 miles away. Um, I mean, at one point in LA, the skies were so smoke laden that the sun looked like it was like this red ball. It almost looked like Dune or something. It was crazy. It was really freaky. Yeah. yeah. And it just seemed like nobody cared, but it just kind of, we got to be better in this. We have the means in this country. We need the will. We can reset the planet. We have right. to want to do that. Right. That's and we right. have to want to do that. We have to have that desire more than we have the desire to, uh, to feed capitalism. I'm not banging on capitalism, but there's, there's gotta come a moment when there's some kind of balance. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay. This podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. Julianne Emery, what are you obsessed with? I'm a little obsessed with my hydroponic garden, which the, my, my stand's name is Herbie, by the way, if, if you're interested, um, it's gone that far. But my true obsession is iced tea. Um, I grew up in the South. I am diabetic, so I don't do sweet tea the way my mama used to make it, but I, I use uh, liquid stevia now, but I have like three different kinds of iced tea in my cabinet right now, but I don't do anything I'm holding up a cup of my iced tea now for you to see. I don't do anything without an iced tea nearby. Yeah. All right. Well, you can be obsessed with iced tea. I'm a decaf drinker and finding decaf teas is part of my- Oh, sure. Do you do green ever? Do you do green tea? There's some great green teas. Coffee bean has some really nice like fruity green teas if you like that kind of stuff. And then when I have dinner parties, I make a nice um, pitcher of iced peach tea, which is herbal. So, um, don't, don't discount herbal teas when you're thinking of icing something. No. And also you have a hydroponic garden. If you grow mint, you can make, I do grow mint. I have spearmint growing in my (laughs) hydroponic garden right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mint is a, a catch-all for a lot of things and it makes a great tea as well. <laughs> well, I hope you donate a hydroponic set to your local elementary school. I think I will. Thank you. Actually, I sent one to uh, my cousin. Uh, one of my cousins is a, a, a principal at an inner city school in Knoxville and I sent one to them. Yeah. That's fabulous. That's yeah. fabulous. I mean, yeah. LA, everything grows in California. So it's just- Well, and the grow season is so long. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, I'm going to switch tacks. I said, you've been on a lot of interesting TV shows and films and including one of my favorites, which is kind of uh, a romantic comedy. That's not on a lot of people's top 10 list, but I love Hitch. And I love a story that is associated with that movie that you've told in other media, which is that when you went to LA to begin your career or as part of your career, you waited on tables and Will Smith and Jada Pinkett, his wife were one, some of your customers. And they then were. when you were filming Hitch, you were at a table read and there you are starring in a movie alongside. Yeah, it was a nice, I used to, uh, Will and Jada used to come in all the time. He liked the salmon Caesar salad there. And, um, and I waited on them and they were lovely and great tippers. And um, when I, I, I mean, it's not like I didn't know he was in the movie already when I auditioned or when I booked the part, but there was something about uh, walking into that first table read was the first day I met him and I, my position, they, they, you know, they assign your seats when you do a table read like that. And my position was right across from him. And, um, and I just sat there for a second. I was like, this is a nice moment. This is good. This is good, Julie. This is really good. Yeah. Did he remember you as his waitress? No, I mean, he was <laughs> lovely. We talked about that later, but, um, I mean, you know, it meant more to me that I liked them as a waiter, like, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like if I, I, it means something to me, be nice to PAs, be nice to the waiters, be nice to anyone who is uh, in any kind of service to you. And, and you probably win a lot of points in my book. So um, that meant a lot to me that he was just as kind as a, when I was a waiter as he was when I was um, co-starring in itch. Yeah. Well, that's a really good tip for aspiring yeah. actors everywhere. Be nice to the people around you in your life because you never know. Yeah, I mean, else. do that for your life because it's, the you know, it's a it's a better way to live and a good thing to do, but it's uh, 100% true. What do they say in the business? Today's receptionist is tomorrow's CEO or something, or, you, you know, is tomorrow's development exec or everybody's on their way somewhere. And, and you know, our business is built on dreams and everybody is uh, looking to kind of move upward. So yeah, I think so. I love that. I love that. And another one where you've had a, an interesting role that a lot of people may know is Better Call Saul. Mm. You play uh, Betsy Kettleman there. And, you know, tell us what what that show is about to you. What is the true true story behind the story of that show? You know, the story of Breaking Bad is a psychological study of Walter White and sort of how his how he breaks down as a person until he becomes Heisenberg, right? And the story of Better Call Saul is how does Jimmy McGill become Saul? Um, and it really is a psychological examination. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I realize how much those two that those shows have in common with Five Days at Memorial, even though the tone is completely different and Five Days at Memorial is real. But like, I think, um, I think what Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould do so beautifully is that great character exploration, that great deep dive into the psyche of what are the little incremental steps that turn someone into, I don't know, an overblown character like Saul Goodman or a really dark character like Heisenberg. Um, I th and I think that's what the draw is. We don't, we don't get a ton of a uh, deep character dive 
uh, anymore unless I think television has filled that void for us in a really, really nice way. And Vince and Peter are absolute masters of it. All of the Better Call Saul writers are incredible. Well, we're living through a golden age of television, thanks to streaming yeah. services, Apple TV, Netflix, yes. Hulu, all of them, all the original program programming they're doing and the ability to tell stories and limited series. I mean, that's that's a, been an interesting twist in entertainment. I read an interview or saw an interview in which you talked about being a Star Wars fan and how Empire Strikes Back was one of your favorite films. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you can tell us, but that I love this line about Princess Leia, that she was a princess who didn't wait for someone to save her large and in charge. Is how you yeah. She, uh, look in my childhood, I grew up in the, in the mostly in the eighties and, uh, Princess Leia was the first princess I ever saw pick up a gun and say you're going to get someone killed and like start and, and start bossing around the boys and it so resonated with me obviously I was not <laughs> I was a tomboy and I was you know I I was um uh, very physically active and confident and and uh no one was speaking to me at that point and I think that is what inspired that fandom I think that's uh, probably what turned me I'm a bit of a sci-fi geek and I'm sure it's what turned me into a sci-fi geek also in sci-fi, the possibilities are endless, right? And I love, I'm also a Star Trek fan and I've had many men tell me I can't be a fan of both and I completely disagree. I completely think my fandom is up to me and Star Trek was always so fascinating to me. First of all, in the original, Uhura was there and I loved her so much, but also the technology um, and, and a lot of that early Star Trek, Star Trek technology is is uh, the, is this iPhone right now? Like they're 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 recorders and all of it's um we still don't have the little uh, um what did they used to hold it? I can't remember what they called the medical device that they just scan someone with right. and then it, and then it tells you what's wrong with them. We don't quite have that, but we do have you know what would that be? That would be a um, when you go in to get a CT scan, that would be right. a, a, a CT scan that fits in your hand, right? Like we're right. still waiting for that moment, but, um, but the, well, and, and the teleporter um, and the teleporter. Yeah. Good Lord. I need a transporter in my life so badly. I mean, so, <laughs> so well, many yeah. times my husband and I are like, please, can we have a transporter? Well, I was going to ask you're a tech person. Well, first off, what is your favorite piece of tech? What do you like? I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say my iPhone was not my most used piece of tech, but here's the thing. I have the, I have one of the newer iPhones with the, um, I'm a, I'm a little bit of, I'm a little gorilla filmmaker too. And I have the film camera now where I can like zoom in and I can zoom during shot. And I really love that. Most of my tech stuff is film oriented. Um, right now I have this nifty little mic that I'm talking to you on. My husband is a Broadway singer and I can, control the gain on it and actually record him singing. We, we never could do that on the tapes in a tape situation before, but my, I think my latest favorite piece of tech, and you're not going to think this is very techie. Um, during the, the lockdown phase of the pandemic, I became a hydroponic gardener and I grew up on, um, I grew up on the dairy farm. So we always had like a half acre garden in the backyard. Right. Um, I have out on my deck right now, a hydroponic garden tower. It takes a like three to four feet of space and I'm growing 24 plants on it. I have got, I'm getting all of my lettuce in it from it. Now I have three tomato plants. I'm trying to nurse my little strawberry plant to life, but as a farm kid who tilled the dirt and knew what all it was like hydroponic gardening seems so 
Star Trek to me. It seems like so <laughs> space age and so brilliant. And it runs on a timer and it has, you know, the the, the water, it, it waters everything depending on, you know, every 15 minutes and you feed and it's, there's a very specific, uh, um, it's like a chemistry set, right? You have to balance the pH and feed it twice a week and it's different kinds of food. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's my new favorite toy. It sounds weird to call it a piece of tech, but it is a piece of tech. Hey, one of my favorite pieces of tech was a plastic cupcake courier where you could put three dozen cupcakes and the frosting didn't touch. Because yes. if anybody has kids, you have to transport cupcakes. Have you ever tried yes. to do that? And you have, have to transport a lot of them, right? Everybody has to get one. That's right. So the cupcake courier molded plastic saved my yeah. life. Yeah. Um, if someone could invent tech for you, what piece of tech would you want them to invent? I mean, a transporter. Like my husband and I, Kevin, his, his, I'm a TV actor mostly. I do some films too. And Kevin is a stage actor and, and our careers are always... I used to say they were on opposite coasts, but now they're just all over the world. And if we could have a transporter, it would make our lives so much better and easier. Like that's what I keep waiting for. Most people my age are like a flying car. And I'm like, no man, a transporter. You know how long it takes on a plane to get to New York? A transporter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe you could um, project yourself in VR or AR. Yeah, that. maybe, maybe that would be cool. Virtual. Yeah. We have a, uh, Kevin plays some virtual reality games now with his, uh, with his brothers. And that's really nice. Like you don't think of tech, like bringing family closer together and, you know, brothers, they're all boys and they don't, it, when they talk on the phone, they don't, it doesn't get very intimate, but if they if they get together virtually and play golf together in a virtual <laughs> world, then suddenly they're talking about real things. I mean, it's been really, I don't know, it's his wife. It's been really nice to watch. Sounds like a film for your iPhone, uh, relationships of men filming them playing in VR and the real conversations they have. You could go into both, right? You could see them with their headsets on and everything and then like go inside the VR world with them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. iPhone movie. Okay. Best piece of advice that you would offer to someone. If someone said, what is your, what is your go-to advice? Wow. As an actor, I always say study, 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 because, and I think this is true in life. Like a lot of things happen. And if you, uh, if you're prepared for them, oh, wow, this, this wraps right around to disasters, doesn't it? Um, I, I like to prepare. I love homework. Um, as an actor, I love, I love taking deep dives on things like my hydroponic garden. Um, the more prepared you are, the better things go when you get a break, when something good happens and the better things go when something bad happens. So maybe that means invest in yourself, invest in yeah your own preparedness. I would also say like, don't be hard on yourself. The world's going to be hard enough on you. Just like, you know, be kind to yourself if you can. It took me too long to learn that. Okay. Well, thank you, Julianne Emery for taking time to talk to us today. Really enjoyed it and looking forward to hearing what more people have to say about Apple TV's new show, Five Days at Memorial. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Julianne Emery, for talking to me. And thank you for listening. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell. And this episode was produced by Rebecca Flinger. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. Until next time, take care.